This is Nick Gibson. Welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast, where we are, ironically enough, engaging and equipping people of substance for the local church. I'm here today with our present worship director, Nicole Kyle. Hello. And our former worship director, now children's director, very soon to be voted on to be children's pastor, Vince Pieri. Hello. So Nicole's also helped with um, the large crew conference that happens every year in Minneapolis and has led worship with that kind of stuff. Also, um, not everybody knows this about you. Um, Nicole's also half Mexican of family of origin. So also she's been over the years dealing with issues related to um, ethnicity in worship and what different people respond to. Crew's been trying to become more sensitive and more Mm -hmm. diverse in those sorts of ways, and she's been involved in those discussions as well. So today we're going to be having a discussion on art and the gospel, especially related to musical art and things like that. And we thought it would be helpful to pull these two in to discuss it. Even though it's my opinions that you should listen to the most. <laughs> so one of, the, one of the things we do every year at High Point is with uh, junior staff and especially interns, we go through a book by Richard Lovelace called um, Dynamics of Spiritual Life, which is on the history of revivals. But one of the chapters later in the book is called The Evangelical Muse, which is about evangelicals and art. And he talks about, the book was written in the 1970s. So he talks about the division in culture and art in the United States between what we might call folk or regional art, um, popular culture, popular art, and then high culture. He refers to high culture as sort of like the orchids of art. These like very well-defined. And that in the late modern period, like the 1960s, 70s, 80s, and so on, that that kind of got into a unhelpfully secular kind of modernity that wasn't very human and that it kind of went off the rails and so during the 60s and 70s and there was this enormous flourishing of popular art it was like he, he compared it to like a greenhouse full of orchids that kind of weren't going anywhere while the fields were blooming in wildflowers mm-hmm. the sort of the bob dylan era simon and garfunkel and on into 80s rockers wearing women's clothing and driving lamborghinis to the present i suppose and then folk art, in many ways, has increasingly disappeared in America, though there have been some art forms that have tried to hold on to it, though some forms of folk art, like rap, that we'll talk about a little bit later, have kind of flourished and gone mainstream. And then there's been a lot of fusion and all that kind of stuff. So what do you think, so as people who've tried to do art in the church, what what do you even think about when you say, I'm an artist in service of the gospel, in service of the local church? What does that mean? It means I'm overwhelmed. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I say that as a joke, but it's kind of true because it is, it's a lot of, it's like trying to balance creating things that I stand behind that I think are like beautiful as pieces of art, but also things that I think are theologically true that do something within a person and then also trying to figure out how to do that in the context of a local church Mm -hmm. because it's one thing to create a song that emotionally and personally moves me or a song that was born out of something that I went through something that was difficult on a personal level that I can really relate to that fits those categories of beautiful and move somebody but it's different when you're trying to do that in a congregation of a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds who have different preferences who like different styles who came to faith from different styles of worship or in different generations Mm -hmm. and so so if you're in a college ministry 
oh, it's, in undergrad, yeah. and you like love this new song, playing that, it, that's not chaos. No. But if you become this worship director in a local church that's truly intergenerational, mm-hmm. that's that's not going to work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, it's like a really bad idea yeah. for a worship leader to be like, I'm going to pick these songs I really like. Mm-hmm. That's almost certainly going to lead to a really bad worship set for the church. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why? Well, I feel like I'm still learning about why that's the case, but... I mean, lots of reasons. Like, on the one hand, you're dealing with people who are different genders, who think differently. And, I mean, there are going to be overlaps sometimes. If, if you're working with stereotypes, stereotypes, there will always be overlaps. But I think that, especially, like, lyrics like The Bride of Christ or, like, Falling in Love with Jesus, like, for girls, that's usually easier to relate to. Because There's a lot of Hey Girl Jesus songs. Yeah, right. Yeah, they, uh-huh. Or, as I Mark just used to say, like, prom songs to Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like if you if you take Jesus out and replace that with some other guy's name, like Alice. It's, yeah, yeah, it just sounds the same. But guys don't always re- resonate with that. Or if you've got a song that's maybe talking about like the battle and Jesus as a warrior, maybe guys can get more. They can like, oh yeah, I get that. I'm excited about that. I'm excited about Jesus having his white robe with tattoos on him and drenched in blood, like. Those are different things that different people are going to relate to. One is less romantic than the other. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And then you've got, like, when you're working with different generations, like, people, I have so far found this to be true. It's not 100% true, but you often, the songs that you listened to when you were really flourishing in your relationship with God for the first time are always going to mean just a little bit extra to you. So, like, for me, that's, like, Mighty to Save by Hillsong. Like, the those that era of Hillsong is what I listened to in, when I was a freshman in college. It's like, oh, my gosh, you can have worship music that's good and cool. And, Which is all the way back to, what, 2008? Right, like, not that far yeah. away. But, but, like, it's still, to college students today, they yeah, don't it know dated. it. It sounds yeah. dated to them. Like, when I worked with them, they were like, I don't know that song. Or, like, that's what I sang when I was in sixth grade. Yeah. Like, it doesn't mean the same. Mm -hmm. So, and that's true for everyone who's in the church, that they came to faith in different seasons of their life, but those songs are just dear to them in different ways. Yeah, I have a friend, Jeff Fisher, in the the Christian Reformed Church. And when we were in seminary, he went on this, like, worship tour of Europe, right? They were just studying worship. Mm -hmm. And he said the most helpful insight from the whole thing was that people tend to be most emotionally connected with whatever worship they were doing when they grew the most in their faith. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so in some ways, one of the keys to get people to like more or newer music is to have them grow. Is to have them spiritually grow. <laughs> because there are songs from when I was like going to Christian camp when I was a late teenager with that like, like I will never not love the song as the deer pants for water. Like from Pantith. the 19... Pantith. <laughs> From, like, the 1970s. Mm-hmm. That will always be one of my favorite songs because that was a key song when I was that age. But then there have been two or three other times where I've grown a ton. Mm-hmm. And the music from that mm-hmm. era means just as much to me. Right. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's, there's just, there are so many cross sections. And that's a good problem to have. But it's also a, a hard yeah. challenge. Yeah. And also as a worship director... You're, you're one, it's one of the only kinds of, it's almost like you're an art manager rather than an artist because you're kind of expected to play other people's art, mm-hmm. not art that you wrote. Right. It's more like being a curator at a museum. Mm-hmm. Of like or a cover band. 
Yeah. Uh-huh. Like finding the stuff that all works together mm-hmm. and fits that group of people that you can still find as beautiful art, but that, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot. That's why I started off by saying it makes me feel overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you have anything you want to say besides mm-hmm? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Okay. I don't think about this. Not particularly. I guess uh, there was one thing I was going to say, but now I forgot it. Yeah, we can keep going. Keep going. So one of the things we talked about before is that you were saying there's a lot of different things Christians are doing and try to do artistically that aren't all the same. Um, There are people who are trying to write and create congregational art. Mm Mm-hmm that is designed to like be used in worship. There are people who create or distribute art in a way that is just encouraging towards people Mm -hmm. that are Christians already. And then there are other people who create art that are seeking to make art in the world, right? Mm -hmm. And so how do you think about those? How how do you think about those differently? Do you have thoughts, guys? No, I I don't want to. <laughs> I can always talk. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. When Nicole and I have a conversation, um, the average number of people talking is two. Yeah. At the same time. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I guess I would just say when it comes to the church world, it's always felt much simpler to me. There was a time in my life where I was trying to write as a Christian artist. For the world, mm-hmm. you know, that I was trying to write songs as a Christian that were targeted towards unchurched people, trying to move them a step closer towards Jesus without being overtly Christian. Mm-hmm. And that was very hard, mm-hmm. very, very hard. And in my recollection, I had very little fruit. <laughs> but I would say, when in the times that I have been in a worship director role, it has felt much simpler because you can say, okay, I'm going to put aside what I might like. I'm going to put aside um, even some maybe standards of art that I would like to be, ways that I would like to be stretching myself if I was just writing for myself and to put those to the side for now and to say, what can I, what can I make that's going to land? What can I make that's going to help people engage in worship? If people worshiping God is the only goal, mm-hmm. that they would have genuine worship of God from their heart, that's theologically sound and emotionally moving, then I I always felt like it simplified things a lot and freed me up to say, okay, is this working or is this not working? And then make decisions based off that. Yeah, I I think that it does when you when you're able to take some of the some of the things you're trying to mix around out, it does make it simpler. Mm-hmm. I think that it's it really is dependent, I think, on what situation you're in and who you're trying to reach. But I think I, I yeah, I just think they're two different conversations. Like I, I think, so 102.5 is a Christian radio station in Madison that is has a specific goal of it's positive and encouraging. And uplifting. Think, uplifting, sorry. And... Um, and family friendly. I was going to say family friendly, right? Is it also safe for the whole family? So... And it's doing exactly what it's setting out to do. That is very different from what Lecrae, who's a Christian rapper, is trying to do. Lecrae uh, got saved, I think, in college. 
uh, by a, a pastor, James White, was preaching. He got saved, and he had a background of, I think he was selling drugs, and just like a, a promiscuous background, and got saved, and he's like trying to reach people who are similar to him from a similar background. And all of a sudden, one day, he realized that like, it was just a bunch of like white Christian high school guys mm-hmm. who were listening to his music. He's like, this is not what I was trying to do. Mm-hmm. And so he really changed his direction because he was trying to reach people who came from a non-churched background. And he got a lot of flack for it. Mm-hmm. A lot of people were like, oh my goodness, he's not a Christian anymore. Yeah. Especially because he started talking about sex, drugs, and rock and roll in very explicit ways mm-hmm. in the lyrics. Yeah. Not painting them as positive things, but talking about them right. directly. And he, like, he has a song on his new album, well, it's not his new album, one of his newer albums, where he's talking about, like, there's this bit at the beginning where he's like, you're at a, uh, it's all a song about, like, don't cheat on your wife, basically. <laughs> like, the, the the main hook is, like, don't do it. That's what it keeps saying over and over again, instead of all these other songs that are, like, mm. do it over and over again. But it's, um, there's this part of the beginning where he's like, you're at a, you're at the gym and you see this girl in front of you and you're like tempted to take your ring off and whatever. Like he's willing to talk about it, mm. but he's, I, I just think he's doing something different, not only because of the content of what he's doing, but because of how it sounds. It sounds more like any rap that you would hear on 104.1 too. Um, yeah, I think uh, I remember having a conversation years ago with a Christian artist that did a, a concert at our church and we were talking about art and he's like, he's like, there's, there's a difference between art that is Christian and art that is explicit in terms of its Christian faith. So there's art that says Jesus a lot. Mm-hmm. There's actually, I mean, there's a little Cray song about this. Where he he's says, like, Jesus, 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 yeah, Jesus. Except this is this song is Christian, you know? Yeah. Where there is there is there are songs and there is art that morally and spiritually upholds and illustrates mm-hmm. and clarifies and and triggers the imagination in relationship to the gospel and its mm-hmm. truths. And then there is stuff that says Jesus a lot of times mm-hmm. that may also do that or mm-hmm. may also really just say Jesus a lot of times in very rehearsed language. Right. So one of, the, one of the things that I think artists in the church struggle with is that most Christians don't think about art at all. Mm-hmm. They just either immediately or intuitively like something, or they don't like something, they don't really know why, mm-hmm. and they find a reason to complain about it or not to complain about it. Yeah. I think sometimes about people who don't like songs that repeat a lot, and they're like, oh, those, those aren't very intelligent songs, it's just repetition, as though repetition in worship is not in the Bible. Right. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, or people who are like, I like songs that are lyrically advanced and that like things like hymns, and that kind of poetry is in the Bible as well mm-hmm. and is also very helpful. Mm-hmm. And so um, one of the quotes from Lovelace's book is, um, evangelicals generally do not understand that what determines the edifying or corrosive power of a work of art is not the materials it uses and the actions it describes, but rather its moral outlook towards those materials and acts, actions. Mm-hmm. So he, what he's saying is, he's saying every piece of art has a moral outlook inside of it. Oh, we, we might say a worldview, a theological, philosophical, spiritual, biblical reality it assumes. And that would be true whether we're talking about a song, a show on TV, a film, mm-hmm. a piece of physical or painted art. Book. Book. Mm-hmm. A fiction book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think about, so I really liked that section of the book a lot. It, it made me think about... Um, the West Wing and Breaking Bad, 
those are two shows that I have a lot of friends who've watched both of them. Neither of which are probably not just not explicitly Christian, but not intended to be Christian. Yes, not intended to be Christian at all. And Breaking Bad is about drug dealing and stuff, and yeah. West Wing yeah. is an extraordinarily secular. Although I, I have questions about whether there is a Christian worldview underneath Breaking Bad. Yeah, That's right. Yeah. But not the West Wing. But not Wing. the West Wing. I have and never if you seen look West Wing. at if you watch Breaking Bad, you would on paper like it's what's the the website plugged in or unplugged right. like the re- website that reviews shows from right. a Christian perspective. Right. Plugged in. Breaking Bad is going to probably get a worse review than West Wing. The West Wing. Right. Because of some of the explicit stuff that happens on mm-hmm. it and the nature of what's being talked about. Like the West Wing is, you're walking around the West Wing in the White House. It's fast-paced and it's People are funny talking. and witty. You're, you're and having emotional whatever. moments of right. choirs of black kids singing Christmas mm-hmm. songs. Yeah. <laughs> but, but when I watch both of those shows, I watch Breaking Bad and I see the depravity of man and the need for a savior. I see how a small moment of, okay, I guess I'll give in to this temptation can... Mm-hmm. can derail Spiral. the rest yeah. of your life. And and it I can't tell you the number of times my husband Scott and I would watch that show and get done and just have these conversations for almost as long as we just watched the show mm-hmm. afterwards about mm-hmm. what it says about man and what it says about depravity and what it says about this world that we live in versus The West Wing, which has a very... It, there are some th- some theological things that it wrestles with, but for the most part, it's like, Talking about, like, I feel it's, like... I'm, it's worldview is if you embrace secular modernity yeah. in, a, in a liberal and a a positivist and a tolerant-centered kind of way, mm-hmm. all our diversity will shine for the, and, and we will have this greater semi-utopian yeah. world that we all hope for. Yeah. yeah. Which, according to the Bible, is a ridiculous lie. Yeah. Right. So I, I look at that and I think about this quote. From Loveless, that yeah, you look at the the materials used, the actions described in both of those, and it's easy to think that the morality of the West Wing is better. But when I actually think about the underlying worldview and morality mm-hmm. in it, right? Well, there's a, not to get on the break. Some of the well, some of the best <laughs> some of the best pieces of art that I recommend Christians watch to get a hold of something. Mm-hmm. I I never actually there's no Christian movies that I encourage people to watch. Mm-hmm. So when somebody doesn't understand depravity, mm-hmm. the movie I know this is an older movie, but that movie I encourage them to watch is the movie Memento. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember that, but that is a mm-hmm. perfect de- depiction of depravity but with not intending. Right. Mm-hmm. And whenever I I see a couple where like the man and the woman are just having a horrible time inhabiting their genders. Mm-hmm. For the man actually learning what it means to be a man or the woman. Mm-hmm. There's this there's this uh, movie called The Painted Veil that oh, yeah. um, Natalie or Naomi Watts was in, and mm-hmm. the guy who was in Fight Club, uh, Norton Jr. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're in. It is an incredible movie. It is so profoundly Christian in its worldview, right? And like mm-hmm. the base reality under it. Yet it would yet it would never say Christ is the answer. Mm-hmm. And I don't think the movie. If the movie was were a person, it wouldn't believe Christ was the answer. Right. But it would be a person believing in a world in which Christ was could be the answer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And but I think, too embarrassed to believe that that simply. And I think that that makes sense to me because because I agree. There are so many times you watch a movie or you read something or you see these pieces of art that are secular and who made them, but they just point to Christ. And I think it's because like art is to it's to help us see beauty. 
And we believe that God created this world and created beauty and that we bear his image, even if we're not aware that we bear his image and that we model how he created when we create. And so it has the power to point to that. But it's hard to use those things in a church setting. And and I don't necessarily think always right yeah. to use those things in a church Yeah, setting. when you talked about Breaking Bad as an example, like one of the shows a lot of people watch that I haven't watched just because of all the frontal nudity is Game of Thrones. Yeah, I haven't watched it But I've, heard, I've had a number of people tell me that they've watched Game of Thrones and who are Christians, and they say it's not. it doesn't have that. That same thing, because they watch Breaking Bad, and they're like, that thing is there. Yeah. But in Game of Thrones, it's it, it never leaves that cynical pose. Hmm. So there's all this depravity, all this death, all this whatever. But the theme is, the good guy always loses. Hmm. There is no redeeming providence. There is no way that um, evil cannibalizes itself. And so unexpectedly, hope can rise. Mm-hmm. And people do things unexpectedly towards the good. And providence brings about these ends. It's just totally cynical. Mm-hmm. And whereas Breaking Bad has this has this cynicism in it, but it, it doesn't speak the word of redemption, but it speaks the truth of uh, whatever man reaps, therefore he will also sow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and most people can't imagine how damnation works. Mm-hmm. And so when art says this is how damnation happens, mm-hmm. it's these little steps, it's these markers, it's these moments right. of truth. Where people turn and they what they what they reap is what they sowed, yeah. and they reap damnation, and they get to a point where there's there's no redeeming it, there's mm-hmm. no turning around, there's no, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you watch that show, and there's moment after moment where you see you could change it at this point; mm-hmm. it could be different, mm-hmm. and it's right? Not. Right, and the thing that would make that more Christian than something else is if it had a worldview in which the viewer saw a choice mm-hmm. that really could have been made. Mm-hmm. As opposed to something like Game of Thrones, where it's kind of like, no, there were good characters and who made good choices, and they died just like everybody else. There's no difference, yeah. which you could say is a little bit like Ecclesiastes three or four, but without without the second the second and third word of those books. And so, at some point, though, secular art will have a faulty redemptive message by definition. Mm-hmm. So, what what do you do with that? Like, secular art is often a good illustration. But it usually doesn't bear the gospel. I think you have to see it for that. I think at least that's what I have found for me, that I have to understand that there can be partial beauty, partial truth in it, but it's not the whole thing because it isn't the gospel. Mm-hmm. And and being able to see that distinction and not put... I, and I, I think maybe part of that is because it's it was a long time before I also saw myself as an artist. Like I... I'm a math major in school. I married someone who was, was an art major, so I just always made this big distinction. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if that's changed my values of art. If I, I'm sure there are plenty of other people who value art higher than I do or have better thoughts on it. But, um, but for, So for me, it's easy to make the distinction. There may be other people for which it's more difficult. What about Christian consumption of art? So, for example, a, a few years ago, like Lex and I were watching some shows and whatever. And at one point, I'm watching this show that was fine. I mean, it's a normal show. And I was just like, you know, baby, I just feel like a traitor watching the show. Mm-hmm. The show just kind of celebrates everything that Jesus hates mm-hmm. and pretends like it's great, mm-hmm. that it has no consequences, that it's a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. I feel like there was a time uh, in the 80s and previous where a lot of evangelicals and fundamentalists would be like, don't watch movies. Don't listen to rock music. 
Um, and it was it was basically like all art that isn't explicitly Christian and all even Christian art that's popular in form and not classical in form mm-hmm. is by definition bad. Don't mm-hmm. use any of it. Mm-hmm. But I feel like the, it's kind of flipped entirely the other way mm-hmm. where we're like, well, you know, we want to contextualize and we don't want to be, you know. Right. We want to be relevant. We want to be relevant. Mm-hmm. So we've got and to know so, how to talk about. <laughs> so I have to watch every film yeah. and every show and. Instead of being like, you know what, I just don't care to watch that. Mm-hmm. Um, when, in fact, our flesh does care to watch it. Right. And so do you feel like that flip has happened for millennials? Because Gen X kind of got mm-hmm. caught in that. My generation was like, the, no, we're going to be relevant. But I feel like it's kind of gone. I I can speak from my, my experience personally and the, the friends that I have. I, th- I think we've... I mean, I remember being in college and having a, a girlfriend tell me that she was never going to watch shows that weren't rated. I, I don't remember if it was PG or PG-13 or something, but mm-hmm. she's like, I'm just going to stop because of the effect that it was having on her. And the first time I heard that, I'm like, whoa, that sounds like super legalistic. And then it came out of, well, no, this was just something she needed to work through because it was tempting for her otherwise. Mm-hmm. And, and I see, I have seen the effects in my life, like when I'm watching more junk I just think about more junk. I'm a little mm. bit un- more unhappy, and I'm, or I'm, more mean than I was before. Mm. Yeah. So is... yeah. What? So explore that a little bit. The cor- the corrosive power of mm. art. Yeah, I think that. Can you just watch shows that are created out of a non-Christian worldview, and not have that affect you negatively? Should I mean? Should we watch stuff? Should you watch? Like, what's a show that's like? Well, like, so New Girl is an example of a show. Okay. I, it is so funny. So funny. But it's just a show about a bunch of friends just sleeping around with everyone. Right. And so it's like, I, I, everything in me was like, I just want to watch it because it's hilarious. But Mm -hmm. I see the, but I also see the way that it makes me just like, oh yeah, I guess it's not that big of a deal, but that she's sleeping around with these people or like shows that really make you rooting for infidelity or Mm -hmm. things like that. Mm -hmm. Like that just mess with your emotions. Like they do, I think they do take a toll on you. Like Darth Vader can like be behind killing a planet. Kills everyone. There's a, the the last of Jim Gaffigan, like stand up. He talks about like people that, that are like in film and stuff like that. So like you go trick or treating, you can dress up as your kid can dress up as Darth Vader, like, a genocidal maniac of an entire planet, but your kid can't dress up as Hitler, hmm. right? Uh, you could dress up as Satan, and that's funny, hmm. right? Right? Or, or the joke he was making was about pirates, right? Like, like <laughs> pirates are the, like the rapists and murderers yeah. of the like late early modern world, right. right? And yet pirates are like kind of cool. Like the, the, one of the most idiotic reversals mm-hmm. of morality was the whole Pirates of the Caribbean franchise mm-hmm. that like. The pirates were the good guys. Yeah. The first movie was the worst, right? The noble guy finds that his real calling is to be a pirate. It's so funny because I, I don't remember how old I was when those movies came out, but I was oblivious to all of it. Right. I just was like, yeah, the pirates are cool. You want to mm-hmm. be a pirate. Mm-hmm. Right. But, but okay, so th- I'm, this is part of what I'm reading in the substance book for the fall is that the, our second religion of worldliness, our mm-hmm. love of the God mammon, right, is not believed it's absorbed Mm. yeah Mm -hmm. and because that second religion is absorbed Mm -hmm. it's unconscious 
and incredibly powerful. Mm -hmm. And the result is, is that we absorb this and it forms us. And then when the world speaks to us, we go, you know me. Right. You know me so well. You speak to my heart. And it's like, yeah, because I programmed your heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like and when... so, it, it's, so it's powerful and it, it moves us in a way that the gospel doesn't because we haven't really, because we don't listen to God's word and warm ourselves in the fire of meditation in Christ and in his truth and let that, and let that seep into us, uh, be absorbed and form us. Meanwhile, we're absorbing this other art. Mm-hmm. And in relationship to how the world forms us, don't you think that art is one of the main ways we absorb worldliness? I think that that's probably true, uh, particularly given the culture in which we live, which is create. It's I mean, everyone's living room is everyone's living room is based around sitting in front of the TV, and so you just walk, you just can, and you're binging on Netflix, and like I'm guilty of it too, and so especially in a culture where the art isn't necessarily noble, high art, or the culture is just, it lives in that art, it's easy for it to be absorbed when you're yeah. just constantly watching it. Which, like, makes mm. me feel, even in this conversation, it's like, I probably sound like a hypocrite because I'm talking about watching Breaking Bad, and I'm talking about, oh, but watch what you watch, you know? Like, it's just, I think it's a really hard battle for a Christian to figure out when, because so much of it is... Because it's unconscious, you don't necessarily know when it's affecting you mm-hmm. until it comes out. And only if you're aware of it when it comes out. But you can feel yourself cheering for the adulterer. Right. When and you feel that happening, then then you know something's off. Right. But the 50 episodes you watched before that, or however many, right. where, where that didn't necessarily happen, it was when you are absorbing it. Right. It can take longer sometimes. Yeah. And that, I think, is what's dangerous. Or yeah. given however old you are and how many years you've been watching these things. Right. I think I think it's also corrosive when you have characters in shows that are like the good person, but their goodness isn't rooted in anything. It's just like they're just the good person. And as though that's how people become good people. Mm-hmm. Is it's not rooted in anything. Mm-hmm. It's not it doesn't come from the gospel. It's not rooted in your being as a human. It's not knowing you're made in the image of God. You're just supergirl and so you're good. Mm-hmm. And that... That, I think that idea gives people this completely false notion of how people become godly or good in a holistic kind of sense. Mm-hmm. And so they're not prepared to do what it takes to do that. And so all that vigilance, all that spiritual brutality, all that um, training mentality, all that stuff just flitters away from them. Mm-hmm. Just like Batman's such a good good person. That's right. <laughs> Batman's my favorite. <laughs> yeah, that's even probably true for shows like Friends where... They yeah. treat each other so badly a lot of the time, and then they just are so quick to forgive and understand and support mm-hmm. each other and go straight back into this trusting, loving community. And it's like, that's not how it works <laughs> anywhere in life. But right. yeah, makes you feel like that's, the, that's like the norm mm-hmm. that people live under. Yeah. Okay, so we've talked about a good bit about the corrosive power of art mm-hmm. and that... The corrosive power of art is that it is beautiful, but it yet it tends it slides by and we absorb it. And one of the things that that is difficult about art is that you don't really realize what you're absorbing. Mm-hmm. And so the worldview of the art really does matter, mm-hmm. right? Even though um, non-Christian art can illustrate things that are true about the world and true about the gospel, 
And those can be bridges to explain the gospel to people that don't believe or wouldn't accept the scriptures. Mm -hmm. Okay, what about the ennobling power of art? And how Christians maybe don't use that or can use that as a gift of God. Yeah, I think this come this is its own different type of tension. Vince and I are a part of a songwriting group that we meet every few weeks and everyone has to write a song and bring it. And we were we met um this past Saturday, so a few days ago, and we got into this conversation with the, the eight or so of us who were there about the difficulty of trying to create art that is beautiful and going to inspire people or um, going to ready them to hear the gospel or whatever it is that like that it transforms you that it moves you in some particular way Mm -hmm. and how there are tensions of trying to do that to your level of excellence versus is this going to land with someone are they going to understand the poetry you're using do you have to make everything super clear and obvious or can you leave some of it up to interpretation and I think that those tensions can be kind of difficult, but it's it's worth fighting for because it can be so powerful, like particularly with music, because this is the form of art that I'm most familiar with. Like, I just think how many people have this song that just means everything to them, whether or not it was a Christian song or if it was, you know, if this is a non-Christian who has this song that just spoke to them. Like, I think music is powerful. And, and I, I think that it there is this responsibility that comes with it, which is why we have these conversations trying to manage the tension of how how do we write. But it does have this power to to point people towards the gospel. Or um, Scott, my husband, has talked about how he, he thinks art lubricates the soul and makes it ready for what God wants to speak to it. And it it can show you something of God and his nature of, and his beauty or his appreciation of beauty or his creation of beauty and Mm -hmm. so a kid has this ability to have this incredible effect on you which sometimes makes it that much scarier to make it and that much scarier to show people yeah probably a lot of people that are listening to this don't know that you guys wrote prayers to you together and then you you worked mainly on forever rain the song we did for the yeah, campaign. Vince wrote "Lift Our Prayers," and then together we wrote "Forever Be." Forever Be. Okay. Yeah. Nicole really wrote most of "Forever Be," and then you're working on a song for the Second Peter series, mm-hmm. "Everything We Need." Yeah, um, and you've also made a songwriting group here at High Point. Mm-hmm. Met yesterday or yeah. Saturday. Mm-hmm. Saturday. Primarily High Point people. A couple of people from outside mm-hmm. were also part. Yeah. Of. <clears throat> Why spend your time doing that? Why should I pay you <laughs> to do that? There's lots of Christian songs. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. you should be mentoring worship leaders mm-hmm. to play good sets and that kind of stuff. Like, why pay you the incredibly expensive, like, to write art? <laughs> mm. I mean, shouldn't we find a Medici to pay for that or something? Yeah, we need a patron. Yeah. To pay for that. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I think that it's a. I mean, it's a reflection. Part of it should be really encouraging to you as a pastor of a local church, really, because I think it's it shows what God is doing in those people. Like, these songs are coming out of the pain they're experiencing or the questions they're asking. Like, there were multiple people who uh, wrote songs about heaven and seeing Jesus someday and, like, the wonder of that that has come out of conversations they've had in small groups or uh, songs 
there were a couple songs, it felt like a theme on Saturday was there were songs about just feeling lonely and needing God's presence. And that's coming out of what people are experiencing. They're learning about his presence. And so I think it should encourage you. It's maybe not the best economic model, but it does encourage me because when people create art, um, it means they're fed. Mm-hmm. In the sense that, like, you know, John Adams once said, the reason I'm studying the science of politics is so that um, my son might study art. Right. And because art tends to flourish when there's an abundance. Right. But it also provides an entire dimension to living in which it takes a house that has windows and gives it skylights. Mm-hmm. And there's an expansiveness that art gives that nothing else can give. Mm-hmm. And it is the... You know, you can build a castle, but until you put up tapestries, it's just a fort. It's not a home. Mm-hmm. And the church is a place of vigilance, but it's also a place of family mm-hmm. and life. Mm-hmm. And art, I think, shows that. It makes the difference. Yeah. I think there's also a little bit of a blind spot in terms of the actual effect it has on the hearts of the people leading worship ministry or and the congregation. I was a part of a church where... By it, you mean writing songs, writing, not just playing songs. Right, writing songs in the local church. I was a part of a church where the senior pastor every Sunday preached someone else's sermon. And it was a very public thing. It wasn't something that the church hid at all. It's because of a partnership that this smaller church had with a larger church. And you could just feel... That there was something missing Mm -hmm. as he got up there every Sunday and you knew he was going to deliver something that he had pulled from someone else's prep and Mm -hmm. painstaking Mm -hmm. process of crafting Mm -hmm. this sermon. And when he occasionally did preach his own material, in some ways the quality was lower, but it was in a lot of ways way more effective Mm -hmm. because his heart was in it Mm -hmm. and people received it differently even if they didn't know that that was one of the ones that he wrote and i we we have no not no there's there's so much that translates into worship leaders that when even if they're not every song that they're singing on a sunday morning is a song that they wrote when they are in that process of writing it does something to their hearts when they're up on stage Leading worship. Even when they're singing someone mm-hmm. else's songs, they're coming out of this place where they're fighting for saying the truth about what they believe in God and what the Bible says about mm-hmm. Jesus from that deeper place. And um, I think that's, that is like irreplaceable. Like there's nothing that replaces what happens in the heart of worship leader when they're in that process. And if you can have all of your worship leaders in it together, they're going to lead on Sunday mornings differently yeah. than they would otherwise. And I think the same thing is true for a congregation. Yeah. Locally written songs for a congregation, not totally regardless of quality, <laughs> but I would say lift our prayers in a lot of ways and forever be. Don't measure up mm-hmm. to a lot of this other songs that we're singing compared to you know some of the greats or In Christ Alone. But mm-hmm. both those songs we introduced and they landed better than most of the songs that we were doing that we were mm-hmm. bringing from outside the church because there's something special that happens in people's hearts in a congregation when they mm-hmm. say okay this is our music this is our song the person on stage isn't just preaching somebody else's sermon 
This mm-hmm. is something they fought for. This is something that came out of for their heart. This congregation. Yeah, and you yeah. can yeah. you can and hear that in the sometimes for particular seasons mm-hmm. related to particular sermon series mm-hmm. that we all walk through together. Right. And every time you sing that, you can kind of remember mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. we were from. Okay, let me float yeah. an idea on Christian art for you guys, and then you tell me what you think about it. Okay. There's, there's a lot of talk about how Christian art kind of sucks. <laughs> and I think that that's overblown. Because when I listen to Christian mm-hmm. radio and then I listen to pop radio, pop radio is just as stupid. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's all about, instead of saying Jesus, 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 it's all fornicate, fornicate, fornicate. It's just as mono content wise. It just yeah. doesn't feed the flesh. And so there's not this immediate visceral response to it. Right. Um, plus most of the stuff you hear on like 102.5 is written for congregational singing. So it's written in certain keys. It's written for normal people to sing it. And so it's not as virtuosic, I guess, Mm -hmm. as you can when you're singing solo music. So there's that thing. And if you understand that, there's some transition there. But I think in addition to that, non-Christian artists can simply write out of their reality. They experience something universal of the human experience, they write or, or create some kind of art expressing it. Mm-hmm. And it's, and people connect with it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Whereas the, the Christian artist is, is um, haunted by the responsibility to tell the truth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And theological competence is an extremely hard one thing. Mm-hmm. And so to become a person who experiences experiences well and then expresses those experiences mm-hmm. in, in generally human ways that people can connect with mm-hmm. and yet has laying on that a doctrinal and theological sophistication of the true where the, where the two meld together you know like a good grilled cheese sandwich and they feel like one mm-hmm. that strikes me as profoundly more difficult mm-hmm. than producing the new fornication dance song yeah and so I think creating profoundly good Christian art as that is a true gift to the church mm-hmm. um, is a, is much more difficult mm-hmm. than writing a hit. Yeah, I yeah I agree with that. I I think it it's just a lot of things that you have to to hold in your hand and think about together and work through together, and it just makes it it does make it difficult. Because I could, I, think I could see people yelling at me. For telling somebody like you, who's a worship director, uh, if you want to take master's classes in theology, we'll pay for it. Because what the, what the heck? She's not a pastor. Like, mm-hmm. what are you doing? But I want there to be Christian art. Mm-hmm. One of the things I loved about hiring Vince as a worship director, Vince's voice isn't as good as some music folks. Some might say. Some might say. <laughs> but he has an MDiv. Mm-hmm. And I knew that. For me, that was more important. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think I agree with you saying, Nick, totally. I think maybe maybe you said this also, but along the same lines, not just that you're trying to get into this theological world and write out of that, but also people like a worship song on some level has to express the joy of the gospel and the rejoicing in what God has given us. And if that's not what you're experiencing in the moment, there's, it's really easy for it to be, for it to end up feeling slightly disingenuous. I think that's one of the reasons like 102.5 is sometimes hard because you listen to it and you go, 
No one's really feeling that all the time. And so you, there's, a, there's a, a veneer over it. So not only do you have to be writing from this theological place, but you're also trying to write from this emotional place that if you're not experiencing, you have to take a step outside of what you're experiencing to be able to write something that people can sing mm-hmm. and worship. Where if you're writing <clears throat> secular music as a non-Christian, it's easy to get into, I want to do bad things. You know what I mean? That, or even, or even like a song into. like Katy Perry's, Katy Perry's song, Fireworks, like a song about confidence. Right. Every right, right. person on a visceral level can right. immediately connect with the idea of confidence. Right. Or feeling like you're special. Yeah. Or feeling like you have something special with somebody else. Which, none of those are inherently sinful concepts. Right. They are universally human. Yeah. And everybody connects with them very, very directly. But there is a place in cherishing Christ and cherishing the gospel that you have to warm yourself by that fire and actually Mm -hmm. come to experience that experience. Mm -hmm. And if you're not, Mm -hmm. you don't identify with that art, though the capacity to identify it is universally human. Right. Yeah. And if you're in a totally, like if there was some imaginary, totally healthy church, it would still be on some level inappropriate to be writing songs that are full of doubts and questions and spiritual struggles that the average Christian is going through, that would still be inappropriate. But then if you add on top of that the fact that there are sometimes unhealthy withholding of people being able to freely express doubts and questions and mm-hmm. in a help in a healthy, helpful way, if that's kind of suppressed on top of that already, then you add another layer of veneer that has to get added for something to actually be accepted by a church or by a Christian community at large if it if there's a lack you know, does that make sense? Kind of. Like if 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 uh, if everything was totally healthy, there would likely be a, a higher level of authentically expressing your doubts and questions and fears and frustrations in your relationship with God, just in general in the church. But even if that like if was... You, if you feel like healthy and secure in your relationship with God, then you're going to feel... Is that what you're saying? That yeah, like... It's easy. You might feel better about expressing your doubts because you feel safe in this relationship yeah like the the church at large is the church at large is always working through like as a pastor like nick you've been really vulnerable about struggles you've had in your marriage or you know whatever and that's not really the norm right in in a lot of churches Mm -hmm. so but our churches maybe you know help in some ways healthy in that area so you can express some of that um in a church where it is healthy to express your sins and your struggles, when you're coming to write a song, there still is like a level of you don't want to be saying, I'm terrible and that's okay in a worship song. You know what I mean? There has to be a level of like, no, we are trying to embody some kind of ideal in what we believe about God. Yeah, I think what you're kind of getting at there is the fact that there are Christian truths that we would want to express that you want to temper with another statement like we're sinners and that's okay in the sense that christ loves his enemies Mm -hmm. and died in our Mm -hmm. place and has therefore reconciled us to god Mm -hmm. and yet at the same time you want to say but we were we were saved for godliness and holiness and that through the power of the spirit that his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life Mm -hmm. right and you want those two together but you're writing a poem Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're trying to like you can't cram it all in there yeah. and you know that you're going to say some things and leave other things unsaid mm-hmm. and whereas in a song that wasn't trying to be truthfully responsible right. 
Right. You can engage in as much hyperbole as you want. Right. And right. art often does, in some ways, rightfully. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yet, when you're when you're expressing theology, engaging in too much hyperbole can leave the worshiper with the wrong impression, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that is detrimental to their soul. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, if you add on top of that the fact that the church, in some ways, struggles with allowing people to be authentic and vulnerable about their struggles right. in general, mm-hmm. right? In general, then there's an added probably unhealthy pressure on songwriting to really be as vulnerable as we might be able to be if we were more comfortable expressing some of that stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. If you could tell people in a church something you wish that they would come to accept, <laughs> about corporate worship. And and if you wanted to help them understand, you know how like parents want to tell junior high kids like what parenting is like mm-hmm. so that they can kind of understand what the heck mm-hmm. you're doing. Mm-hmm. For, right? Mm-hmm. You guys don't have junior high kids, but it's like that. Right. <laughs> so mm-hmm. what would you want to tell the church besides it's really hard and really complicated? It's hard to please all generations. It's hard to please all personality types. That's all true. What in addition to that would you want to say to the congregation? Say, listen, if we all knew this, really knew it and believed it, art could flourish better at our church. And we could our imagination would be more greatly expanded and nourished by art. That's a heavy question. Yeah. <laughs> I try to ask good questions. Yeah. I don't know if this is exactly what you're asking, but one one thing when I have done worship directing is like when people learn to worship God through song outside of just Sunday morning, in their car, singing a worship song, or in their small group, if you can let yourself enjoy it through the rest of your week, which is a really great thing just in general, then when we come together, there's kind of a base of, okay, we feel a little more comfortable doing this and we can get there a little quicker. So I would just inc- I would encourage people if Sunday morning is maybe not the easiest time for them to engage in worship, that to there there can be a discipline of doing it throughout the week that really helps us all get there on Sundays. Yeah, and I think I would want to say that I mean a a worship service, the whole service that we come up with, like there is a lot of thought and intentionality that goes into it. And and we we try to be specific and intentional in what we choose and songs we do. And but also it's it's for the church. And so to come with the understanding that like this is something we get to do together. Yeah, it's not always gonna be our preferences. It's not always, we may not always know the song or feel like we know how to sing that, but that this is our chance to together as a body worship who we believe is the one true God. I think that that would affect our hearts, affect our attitudes, and that we would would more authentically enjoy our worship. And I think that that would be, it would motivate the worship leaders to write for the church and to encourage the church and to want to serve the church as best as possible. And and then that would encourage the congregation to want to worship more. Like it just would be this, mm-hmm. I think, back and forth. What would you say to somebody who like, <clears throat> you know, like a dude or something that they're just not, they're not, they're not artsy and they don't like singing and they're no good at singing. Mm-hmm. 
and they're like, I hate the sing-along. Mm-hmm. What would you say to somebody like that besides, like, we'll be patient, it's like 12 minutes? <laughs> right? Well, well, yeah. How would you how yeah. would you approach the subject? I've talked to so many people that were like, I hated singing, I hated worship, it was the worst, and then went through a season of trying to learn how to do it mm-hmm. and just fighting through the pain every mm-hmm. Sunday and forcing themselves to sing, sometimes forcing themselves to maybe lift one hand a little bit, <laughs> and they're like, this is the worst. And then at some point it just clicks and it becomes a really life-giving thing Mm -hmm. even for people that are not artsy or wired that way i mean when you sing take me out to the ball game you don't have to be an artsy person everyone's in in that moment everyone's singing take me out to the ball because it's about the ball game not your singing Mm -hmm. right it's about the ball game and now you're singing and it's just uh it's just expected so if you can get past that uncomfortability I think it is really a rare person that it doesn't end end up mm-hmm. being a really enjoyable, meaningful way of connecting yeah. with God. I mean, Joanna, my fiance, is like, this isn't really my thing in terms of singing mm-hmm. corporate worship. But she still has learned to enjoy it and to be, it's a way that she can, mm-hmm. it's not a preferred way to connect with God, but she's learned to enjoy it as a way that she connects with God and, yeah, I think that sometimes we act first in faith and our feelings mm-hmm. change afterwards. Mm-hmm. That we do things because we trust and believe that they're good for us. And maybe mm-hmm. we don't enjoy it at first, but that grows. Oh, this and, is a great opportunity for you to give an example of something else other than music that like God wanted you to do. Right, like, totally didn't fit with you, but you did it. And now you enjoy it. And I feel like you're asking for something in specific. No, I'm not. Oh. Um, well, I was going to say it was like the sermon that you preached on the word, that you're putting yourself back in the path of allurement. Mm-hmm. That, but, or like eating spinach. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, but, so, like some people that like running was it like they hate running. Oh, right? yeah. Like they started doing it and then now they're like kind of crave it. Yeah. And I think that that's true. And I also think that worship, this was in a sermon, Nick, that you preached a, a long time ago, but that... Um, in some senses, worship can be an act of, of of our allegiance to God when that is the last thing we want to do. When it, like when there's a song that says that God is good and it's about the goodness of God and experiencing that, and you're like, this is not what I feel right now. And I and maybe you're in the midst of something really difficult on a personal level, and you don't see God's goodness it is your chance to defy what the enemy wants to do in your life and to say no even though I don't feel this I know that it's true and I think that does something to you mm-hmm. when you act in faith and that that it it does remind you of what is true it it sometimes it needs to be out of conviction mm-hmm. and not just out of your emotions and what you feel yeah I agree mm-hmm. I like to mm-hmm. philosophically rehabilitate the manliness of singing because um, a lot of people don't realize that some of the some of the um, most ancient songs were men writing stories about great deeds. <laughs> they were like the songs of battles and heroes and so on. And some of the great poems, one of the oldest poems in Western literature, um, is Beowulf, which couldn't be a more man killed mm-hmm. monster with mm-hmm. bare hands poem. Right. Right. And so. Um, I think that men singing ballads of great deeds of great beings is as old as the masculine yeah. 
um, being. And I think that that is essentially what the, our worship ballads are. And I think if we can connect with them in that way, mm-hmm. and if we can sing fewer Jesus prom songs, <laughs> men really have an opportunity to connect with their, ma- not just to connect with God, but actually to rightly inhabit their masculinity. Mm-hmm. Because there is a masculine way to enjoy, create, and um, and receive art. Mm-hmm. And I think that it is overlapping with women and yet not entirely overlapping. Mm-hmm. But the ballads of warriors and singing of great deeds and great heroes right. is a, a historically quintessential male action. Mm-hmm. And that is what we do in church. We sing ballads of great deeds and great the, the yes. great yeah. hero. Mm-hmm. And I Jesus. Think, and, I think when you, yeah. <laughs> and I think when as a man you connect with that and... And it is, and those songs were sung to make great heroes out of out of men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Men would sing those songs to become great heroes themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and in a sense, that's exactly what we're doing in worship. Mm-hmm. We're singing about the great hero and his great deeds, and we're doing it to sing of their worth, and yet to commit ourselves to be his followers, to commit ourselves to become, through his power, people of great deeds and great actions. Right. And, and so I think I think men can actually flip on this. Yeah, I can see yeah. it as very fundamentally masculine. And I think there also needs to be, um, it needs to become masculine to feel feelings about the Lord. <laughs> and to that singing a Jesus prom song, quote unquote, expressing feelings of emotional intimacy with God needs to, that needs to be an okay thing for men to express and feel also. I mean, mm-hmm. Jesus said, love the Lord, you got heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's an all encompassing thing. And David and you know, Paul, these are very emotional on that touchy feely mm-hmm. heart level men in their relationship with God. And I think that great men often experience their relationship with God on all of those levels. Yeah. As yeah, the I mean, conqueror I... and the warrior and all those things, but also as the friend and the father and mm-hmm. maybe even the lover on some level. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even, even okay. within a masculine context, you can see that in David's love for Jonathan. Mm-hmm. There's a whole literature on how gay David must have been. Right, right. Because <laughs> you have a description of David and Jonathan holding each other and crying. Mm-hmm. And then a place where David talks about, I think, Jonathan after his death. Where he says, "Oh, the love of Jonathan is better than the love of any woman." Yeah, yeah. And people have said, "Oh, see, he's gay." He's gay and he yeah. and I think I read some of that in undergrad too. Yeah, that's a profound misunderstanding of mm-hmm. masculine love and passion. Mm-hmm. And I think that just as women have to bend a little bit sometimes in their femininity to identify with warrior metaphors, um, men really have to learn to identify with the that. fact that we're mm-hmm. the, we are the bride of Christ. I mean if God is if God is infinite, right? If God has any amount of emotional, relational, intimate love, it is way more than what we attribute in Jesus prom songs. You right, know what right. I mean? Mm-hmm. His level of intimate, emotional, touchy feely love is way more than we've even come close to in the most touchy feely Jesus song. Now that's it is there's still danger in making it too much about that. But to say, okay, God is not like that, I think there's a danger there, too, because there's a part of every guy that has that need in there mm-hmm. to connect with God in that way, yeah. I think. Oh, my gosh, I have so much more to say about that, but we're already over time. <laughs> so I don't like, I wonder what Nick is going to say that. <laughs> so, you guys, thanks for taking some time to do this. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's like tens of thousands of people that listen to this podcast. <laughs> yeah. 
So, um, you know, all 12 of them are going to get to hear these thoughts, and I'm sure it'll transform the life of our church. But um, Please stop stopping me and Nicole on the street to ask for autographs. (laughs) So uh, I do think the stuff that we shared is really important. I think hopefully people will take from this two things, I think. One is um, art has a worldview. Mm -hmm. That worldview generally makes it nurturing or corrosive to our souls. And whether it's good or bad, we tend to absorb it. And it is, we, you are absorbing it. It's like you, when you put a sponge of water, it's going to absorb it. Mm-hmm. Art is a lubricant to the soul, as Scott Kyle says. And so when you watch films, when you take in all kinds of art, you're absorbing its worldview. And therefore, if, it's, if you're absorbing hours and hours and hours of secular art, mm-hmm. you are absorbing secularity. Mm-hmm. You are absorbing its mentalities. And you need to think about the corrosive nature of what you're absorbing. And you need to be strategic yeah. about yeah. what you're doing with that. I totally agree with that, too. Yep. And, and vigilant, mm-hmm. right? And then secondly, art is supposed to not just be something that could be corrosive, but it's actually a gift of God to nurture the soul and the heart. Um, it's not specific to a particular gender or a particular personality style. It's meant to nurture all of us. And that, it sh- and that Christ inhabiting art is a way that can help warm us by the fire of devotion so that in the words of paul we can keep up our spiritual fervor serving the lord we our imagination can be baptized and set on fire by the glories of christ and only that will will produce the fountain of motivation that creates the bravery and the tenderness required to to be just Mm -hmm. full disciples at every moment and so um, embracing art in the worship service and worship life of the church, embracing the endeavors of Christians to do art in the world, the um, endeavor to incorporate even art in, in the building at our church. Our building is very bare of art mm-hmm. and could be much more filled with art. Mm-hmm. And that would be a good thing if we did it well. Um, I think that all these things are places where Christians can engage. And then engaging ourselves in art, especially in music, in poetry, in worship, in ways that through worship we're not just receiving the spoken word and deciding to believe or disbelieve what's said, but we actually enter into the art in such a ways that we absorb mm-hmm. some of the truths of the gospel right. and feel them deeply right. and then express them back to God is a fundamental thing that God has actually commanded in the scriptures. Come on. Right? He's told us to sing these things before him and to say to our soul mm-hmm. this and that poetic thing that's true so i think that we should support christian artists we should support christians trying to lead us in art and yet they should love the sheep of the church and not be obscure in what they share Mm -hmm. and if we got if we got a little bit further in our understanding of what what god has given us in art and in artist artisticness and how the gospel can be carried in that and displayed in it we could we could really could really um, do some things. Do some things and feel the, the strengthening that I could bring. Mm-hmm. Great. All right. Well, I hope that you've enjoyed the insights of Vince Pieri and <laughs> Nicole Kyle, our artistic philosophy and um, practice consultants. And uh, this is the Engaged Input Podcast. We'll talk to you guys real soon. Mm-hmm.